This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we really pray that you help us to see what a great and generous and merciful God you are. And we really pray that as we get into this text, you help us to see how it fits together with the rest of Isaiah and how we need to respond rightly before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when my children were very young, I remember my son came up to me once and asked, you know, Dad, I saw this sign which says, you know, if I buy one, I get one free. So does that mean that if I buy two, I get both free? Now, uh, as the Singaporeans, I think we can, uh, we can sort of agree with that sort of sentiment because we're always looking for good deals. But I don't think it's uh, just a characteristic of Singaporeans that we're looking for good deals because it's a universal thing. Everybody wants a good deal. Right? So everywhere you go, you see sales like Black Friday sales or you see discount stores or factory outlets. But today we come to the greatest sale ever, I suppose. Because here, as we come to today's passage, we see an invitation, and it's not for buy one, get one free, or you know, get 30% or 50% discount, but it is a free sale. Can you imagine that? You buy everything for free. Now, as we come to today's passage, we really need to look at the text closely because really each verse and each line is trying to teach us something about what God is giving us and what God is doing for us. So I want you to look at the first verse, first two verses really. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Now I want us to focus a bit of time on this, this beginning uh, verses because you see that God is really projected as a welcoming God, right? He says there, come, come, and the word come here is repeated four times in the first verse itself, right? He wants a relationship with us, right? He wants the good things to come to us. So he's saying, come, come to me. But not only does God say, come and come to me, he's a very insistent God, right? He doesn't sort of like say, you know, come if you like to. He's, he's calling us in a very strong and a very insistent and urgent way to come to him. It's a bit like when you go to the, the beaches in uh, Patong in uh, Thailand or, you know, you go to uh, some shops in like Bali or whatever. And where, you know, they're very persistent in calling you into their shops so that you can buy their wares. But what a strange God God is because not only is he welcoming and he's very insistent that you come to him, but he's selling things to people who have no money. Right? It says there very clearly, Come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come, you who have no money, come buy milk and, water, and wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, that's really strange because if, uh, if you've ever been to shops, if they find out that uh, really you have no money and you have no interest in buying things, they are very quick in shooing you out of the shop. Right? I mean, that's just the natural, the natural way of the world. But here, God is actually giving a strong commanding word to people to come to Him and to buy, even though they have no money. And what's really even more interesting than that is He gives you good things 
at no cost. Now, I had a friend of mine who was a missionary in Pakistan, and he was telling me about how it's really hard to be poor. Because he says that, you know, if you have money, you don't understand what it it means to have no money. He says, you know, if you're thirsty with money, you have lots of choices. You can go and buy a Coca-Cola. You can have, you know, mineral water. You can have Sprite. Uh, you know, you can do anything you want. If you're hungry, you can buy taco tiao. You can have a burger. You can have a steak. You can, you can buy anything to satisfy your hunger. But if you're poor, if I just give you water, well, you're happy with that. If I give you a cup of water, well, then that's good enough as well. But here, I want you to notice that actually there's a progression that is involved, right? So God gives you water, but he doesn't just give you the bare minimum. He talks about giving you wine and milk. You know, it's usually when you get things for free, you get the cheapo stuff, right? You get the basic stuff. So, you know, like if you imagine the soup kitchens or you imagine like the Salvation Army uh, in Singapore, right? So the next slide, where... You know, when, when you get free stuff, well, you just get the basics, right? You get some bread, you get some butter, and maybe a piece of ham and, and some soup, and that's it. But here God is giving you the very best. In fact, if you look at the passage very carefully, in the very next verse, uh, the next slide, it says, Listen, right? Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Now, the word here, Riches or fair literally is the word fatness. Okay, now, uh, for, for us who live in this health-conscious times, we may not appreciate fat, but, but in the olden times, you know, uh, fat was something prized, okay? Because, you know, fat is what makes food really tasty. And in, in the ancient world, it's not like today where you go to the supermarket and, you know, you can, you can meet, eat meat every day and different types of meat. In the ancient world, Meat was something which you really only ate on special occasions, right? in great religious festivals. And fat was something which you really only ate at the, the most special of times. And here God says that not only gives, does He give you things for free, but He's giving you the very best. That's what is really being said here. It's not just water, it's wine, it's milk, and the very fatness of the meat. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, as we... Consider what God is really saying here. What sort of food is he talking about? I mean, where can we find this food? Uh, You know, where can you order it from your grab food or your delivery or your food panda? Where can you find this food that God is offering? And exactly what is he offering? Well, if you look at the, the next slide, if you look at the next passage, you see that he says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. Now, several interesting things are happening here. First of all, you'll notice that there was a progression, right? So there was water, wine, milk, fatness. And now it speaks of the food that gives life to the soul. Right? So you can see that 
that, that God is not just talking about practical food or, or material food, the foods that we, we eat physically, but, but there's more to it. It is a food which gives life. Now, I know that um, uh, there are quite a few people in our church and uh, outside of church who I know who's, who seem to be into these dietary fads, right? So, that, you know, uh, there's, there's people right in our midst now who are like vegans. There are some other people, like one of our fellow pastors who's, you know, who skips meals and fasts. Uh, they're, they're, I, I know of missionary friends who, you know, they eat meats and they don't eat sugar and carbs. Uh, there's some other people uh, who eat only meats and no vegetables, right? But I can guarantee you that no matter what diet we all follow, uh, we probably won't live past 110 years old, right? I mean, because that's just the way it is. But here... God seems to be offering a food which gives life. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 2, right? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So it seems to be that he, that God himself is talking about a, a type of food that, that is different from the food that we normally eat, which gives life which is different from the, the life that we are thinking about. And this life probably is the idea of life everlasting, right? Because your soul will live. Now, how do we get this food then? Okay, so as you, as you consider what God is saying, how, what sort of food is he talking about? And how do we access this sort of food? Well, again, if you look at the text, there is this progression of coming and coming to God, Buying and buying, and eating and drinking, to listening. Right? So do you see that progression? God says, come, come and buy for me this food. Eat and eat and drink. But then he says, give ear. Hear me, that your soul may live. Right? Listen. So there's a progression from eating to listening. And what are they to listen to? What are the people to listen to? They are to listen about how God is going to make an everlasting promise or covenant with you, a faithful love which was promised to David. So that means that this everlasting life that God is promising, this everlasting water and this everlasting food, is linked to this person called David. And a promise that was given to David of everlasting love. Well, for us, we may not be so familiar to this David character, but to the people of God in uh, six, you know, sixth century BC, uh, David was a f- as familiar to them as Lee Kuan Yew is to us in Singapore, right? So David was like their great king, right? The king who expanded their kingdom, who who, who forged the kingdom as it was the good old days. Right? And God had made a promise to King David in Samuel, two Samuel chapter seven, and this is what God had said. To Samuel. That's uh, true Samuel to David. He says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So it is through this promise that God 
is going to bring everlasting eternal life to those who come and listen to him. Now for us as Christians, we know that this is the person of Jesus, right? It is true, the person of Jesus, listening about this Jesus, listening to this person of Jesus, that we receive this promise of everlasting food and everlasting life. And that's why in the, the New Testament, over and over again, we're, we're told that this Jesus is the son of David. And we're not told that he's the son of David just because it's a genealogical thing that's you know, interesting for people, but it is to remind us to the promise that God has given David that he will build a kingdom everlasting for his son David. So in Matthew chapter 1, it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And again, in Matthew chapter 12, it says, Then they brought him, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? And again, in Luke chapter 1, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So as we understand Isaiah 55, we understand how it links to Jesus, then we see that actually Jesus, listening about Jesus, listening to Jesus, is the way to receive this life, life for our soul. And in the book of uh, John, it expands on this, um, this picture of the living bread and the living water. Right? So Jesus is the one, if you drink of Jesus, if you eat of Jesus, then you receive eternal life. So it says in John chapter 4, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you wouldn't have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And again in John chapter 6, no one, has ever, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So by listening, right, listening to the one who comes to bring the living bread, the one who is the covenant who receives the covenant from God, 
the son of David. It is only through this person, Jesus, that we can receive everlasting life. But coming back to Isaiah 55 again, if you go to the next slide, you see that the progression doesn't end there. Okay, so there was buy and buy, come and come, drink and eat, listen, but listening to God and listening about the son of David is not enough. Because the last progression is to seek and call on God, but to forsake our evil ways and to turn to God. So let's really see what it says here in verse 6 and 7, right? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. To our God, for he will freely pardon. Now here we see the very definition of repentance. Right? Repentance is a, I guess quite an unusual word that we don't come across very often, but repentance literally is turning away from one way of living and turning to another way of living. And here basically what it's saying is we repent of our own ways, our own thoughts, and we forsake them and we turn instead to God. Now this is very important because in the original context, uh, as we've been looking through Isaiah chapter 1 all the way to 54, we see that actually God's people were in great need of repentance because they had been trusting and going their own ways, right? Following their own thoughts. So if you remember back all the way from Isaiah chapter 1 all the way to 40, like they were threatened by the Syrians and then they were threatened by the Babylonians and they, they turned to their own ways. Uh, they trusted in their own political alliances uh, their world, worldly wisdom, their military strategies, turning to other gods, turning to money to try to bribe their way, to get their way. And at the beginning of uh, the servant songs in Isaiah chapter 42, God had warned them, right? So in Isaiah 42, it says, Behold, all of them are false. Uh, their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. But behold, my servant whom I hold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. But those who trust in idols and who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back to utter shame. So here, following your own ways and your own thoughts is actually following the idols and following other gods apart from trusting God. But here I want you to notice that God says ways and thoughts. I want you to consider them for a while. Why does he use the words ways and thoughts? I think it's because God wants them to change their orientation, not just externally, but internally as well. It's a whole life change of orientation. Your ways and your thoughts must be realigned away from yourself back towards God. Because early on, in Isaiah chapter 29, God had rebuked his people and said that they're very good at the externals, very good at externally worshipping God, but actually inside they're following their own ways and their own thoughts. So the Lord had said, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. 
Therefore, once more, I will astound my people, these people, with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligence will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us and who will know? See, we might think that we are very wise, right? We might think we are very intelligent, and we think that we know the right way to live. But God says that actually when we follow our own ways, they are wicked ways, they are the wrong ways. And we need to forsake those ways, and we need to follow the way to God. Now, it's very sad because when you consider... Uh, in my experience, I don't know about your experience, there are many people who come right to the door of eternal life. Uh, I have relatives, friends who are like that. They've heard the call of God to come. They've heard about the free food that God is giving that leads to eternal life. They have listened and heard about Jesus. And they come right to the door of salvation and eternal life, but they can't enter in because they don't want to repent. So, in my own experience, when I first uh, heard of Jesus, I heard of Jesus for many, many years. And uh, what stopped me from actually becoming a Christian was I didn't want to repent. You know, I had my own way of living, I had my own thoughts, and I didn't want to change. And that stopped me for many years from becoming a Christian and receiving the eternal life that God promised. But the worst thing today, I think, is that for many people... Uh, they hear of cheap grace, right? So, you know, in many prosperity gospel churches and some of the more liberal churches in Singapore, people will talk about faith without change, right? You come to God and you, you receive eternal life and uh, God accepts you as you really are and you don't need to change whatsoever. There's a very famous um, writer called Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, this is what he wrote. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field, for the sake of which, for the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye that which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. So what about you today as you sit here? Have you come to the very door of eating the bread of life and drinking the, the water that leads to eternal life, but you have not really entered in because you failed to repent. How do you need to change your ways? How do you need to change your thoughts so that you will indeed receive this free gift of eternal life that God is giving? Because without repentance, there is no free banquet of eternal life for you. See, look what it says there in verse 7b, right? The second half of verse 7. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. To our God, for He will 
freely pardon. Now, these two words, right, uh, mercy and freely pardon, bring us back to Isaiah 53. So we're up to Isaiah 55, right? So two, two chapters ago, we finished with the suffering servant. And you know, like they say in property, right, it's always about location, location, location. So when you come to reading the Bible, it's always about context, context, context. So here in Isaiah 55, it's actually making us look back to what the suffering servant Jesus did. And this is what we did for our responsive reading, right? Because it is only through the suffering servant's death, through his suffering and the piercing for his transgressions, that we are able to be pardoned and receive mercy. So we read this for our responsive reading, but we need to go through it again and again, right? Because this is the heart of how we receive this eternal life. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I want you to notice the words here, peace and healed. Right. So the peace that we receive because our transgressions are transferred upon the suffering servant, is exactly the same pardon and mercy that is promised to us here in Isaiah 55. Do you understand what's happening here? In Isaiah 53, God promises healing and peace through the suffering servant. In Isaiah 55, God promises pardon and mercy freely because he brings us this free gift of eternal life through his food. So when you put the two things together, Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 53, what you actually see is what God offers us for free, right? this free eternal food, the free fatness, the free greatness of His banquet of eternal life, is not actually cheap. It is free for us because God has paid a great price for it. You know, I had a great meal last week. I had a, a dinner on Sunday night. It was great, you know, we had many, many dishes, all the great food, there was some crab even. It was free, but it wasn't really free, right? It was free for me because somebody else paid, right, which was my dad. But somebody still had to pay. In fact, in life, nothing is ever really free, right? It's only free for you because somebody else paid for you. So something that is free doesn't mean that it is cheap, right? So imagine if I... Well, to give you a Ferrari, okay? Can you go to the Ferrari? Okay, so if I gave you this Ferrari, right, it's not because it's cheap, right? It's actually very expensive, but it's because I paid for the Ferrari if I ever could, right? If I paid for the Ferrari so that you could have it for free. But from what we understand here in Isaiah 55 and in Isaiah 53 is, God is able to give you this free, everlasting life, free pardon, free mercy, free peace, because it was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Because as we saw last week, oh, okay, as we saw last week, what we deserve, the judgment that falls on us, actually falls on the suffering servant. And that suffering servant was Jesus Christ. So this eternal life that we receive is freely given to us at great cost to God because His Son, Jesus, 
paid for it. So as a result, we need to see through the context of reading Isaiah 53 and 55 that what God gives us freely is of great value. It's of great value and therefore we need to repent because it is worth repenting to receive. So again in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this actually comes from the same quote, but I cut it up a bit. It says, above all, it is costly, God's grace, because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Now, let's move on to verse 8 to 9, because it tells us a bit more about this uh, repentance. So verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, are my, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, I want you to pay attention because there's a word here, for. Okay, so the word for means because, right? For this reason. So, we need to repent for or because God's ways are different from our ways. And how different are God's ways different from our ways? Well, God's ways are as different from our ways as the heavens or the stars or the sky is from the earth, which is a very, very long way, right? Uh, so I remember when I was uh, reading to my kids before, uh, if you ever get a chance to buy this book, it's, it's quite good. My kids used to like it, right? So it's called, Guess How Much I Love You? Okay, so basically it's a book about the, the father rabbit and uh, his son rabbit, and um, and so anyway, it goes through the whole book. It's actually very simple because, you know, it's for young kids and it's about, you know, how much do you love me, right? So then the, the little rabbit and the father rabbit keep talking about the distance, right? You know, do you love me as far as this place or this place? And at the very end, the very last, okay, so there's a spoiler alert, right? So the father rabbit says, you know, I love you to the moon and back, okay? And then that's like the furthest distance you could sort of conceptualize, right, you know? I love you from the earth all the way to the moon and back. And that's a really long distance, right? I mean, if you love someone that much, then you really, really love them. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying that we need to forsake our ways and follow God's ways. Why? Because God's ways are as different from our ways as the heavens are from the earth, which is a really long, long way. And I think that's very true, isn't it? Because what it's really saying here is that we might think that our ways are very wise, our ways are very intelligent, our ways are the right ways, but actually God's ways are completely different from our ways, our own thinking. See, if you bring it back to Isaiah 53 again, remember what it said? It said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So part of the problem of sin and the part of the problem of our judgment is that we follow our own ways and our own thoughts. We think we're very clever, we think we're very wise, but actually we are. We're lost sheep, right? Following our own ways, following our own thoughts has led us to go astray. And that's why we need to come back to God's ways. 
So I've often met some people who uh, have never read the Bible before, or they've read it very superficially, and they say, you know, I don't know what God says in the Bible. I haven't read the Bible very well, but I'm a good person. I'm doing good things in my life. But actually, that's not true, isn't it? Because if you're just following your own way, then you're not a good person in God's eyes because your ways are completely different from God's ways as the heavens is from the earth. And this shows us in another way why repentance is so difficult. Why I personally found it so hard to repent because our ways are so different from God's ways. Right? If God's ways were quite close to my ways, you know, it's just a few degrees of difference, then of course it's very easy to repent. But because God's ways are so different from our ways, it makes repentance challenging. Because God has a radical, radically different blueprint for my life as I do for myself. Now, I think that all the more in the world today, uh, we need to realize that repentance is difficult and repentance will be difficult. I had a quote, but I took it out because I had so many quotes already, right? But you know the author of J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings? He has this quote about how actually uh, the Christian life requires great mortification, right? So mortification is just this deep, serious word about suffering, right? So repentance involves suffering. But that kind of like goes against the grain of the whole of life and society today, isn't it? Because the mood of today really is, next slide, is to be yourself, right? So, you know, when you talk to young people today, or when you talk to, when you, you see movies or read media, it's all about being true to yourself. I've got to be true to myself. That's the key of, uh, of who I am. I've got to be authentically me, right? Uh, I've got to find freedom, right? That's another catchphrase of today. I've got to be free, freedom. Freedom is, is what I've got to be looking for, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to have people telling me what I should be doing. I want to be free to, who I, to be who I am, and uh, if you tell me that I'm wrong and you're not, you know, you're not affirming my freedom and my authenticity, then you're like a hater, right? Like you're oppressing me, you are being uh, judgmental, and uh, you are basically uh, just, uh, uh, I guess, not being very nice to me, right? But, but repentance actually goes against everything that the world is talking about in terms of freedom, being true to yourself, being authentic to yourself, because... When I'm true to myself and authentic to myself and I'm realizing myself, then I'm actually just following my own ways and my own thoughts. But what God is saying is, uh, if you want to come to Him and receive this free everlasting life, then you need to repent. And that's suffering because it may be not true to what you really want to be or what you really want to do or your, the freedom that you seek or to be uh, authentic to going your own way. But it's not enough just to listen about uh, the son of David. Uh, Repentance, as we see in Isaiah 55, is what we really need to receive uh, what the suffering servant has done for us. So in conclusion, um, uh, I went to uh, Andrew Wong's uh, grandmother's funeral and and, and, uh, wake last last week. And uh, the sermons and the whole service was in Mandarin. So you all know that uh, my Chinese is not very good. So I think I could kind of like understand about maybe 5% or 10% of what was happening. But um, amazingly, 
in the sermon, I actually understood one little thing which uh, was uh, confirmed to me that I listened correctly by the Go Brothers, right? Uh, who, who told me that Mandarin is not very good or so. But, uh, but there was one point where the pastor said, you know, how much is life worth? How much would you pay to live a little longer? You know, how much would you actually pay to live a little longer? Uh, last uh, Friday on National Day, I had a gathering uh, where we had a friend from university who was only 46 years old. He's been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. He's got two younger kids. And, uh, you know, he said that, you know, he'll probably end up dying like before his wife and his kids. And I mean, how much would he be willing to pay to live longer so that he would see his kids grow up or see his kids get married or see his kids have children? Right? I remember my father-in-law when he had cancer, after he had finished all his like, the medicine and chemotherapy that he could uh, find, he, he, he uh, was taking this special experimental drug and they had to fly all the way from Hong Kong and he had to take it every day and each tablet was $600, which he had to take every day. You know, how much would you give to live a little longer? Well, here, God is offering you eternal life for free. Right? You don't have to pay anything because He already paid for it when He sent His own Son to suffer greatly and die on the cross. And He calls us urgently, insistently to come, come to me, come to me, right? Buy without cost, buy without money. Drink this living water, right? Eat this food that leads to eternal life. But you just have to do two things, right? You have to listen, listen to and listen about the son of David, Jesus Christ. But we also need to repent of our ways and we need to forsake our ways and we need to turn to God's ways. So I hope that all of us here, as we reflect on what God is saying here in Isaiah chapter 55, will indeed accept God's offer and we will listen to what God is saying about the Son of David and that we will indeed repent and forsake our ways and instead turn to God's ways. Let's go to God in prayer. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.